Marlon Pickett has been remanded in custody in Perth. Pickett was arrested yesterday afternoon, less than a day after he played for the Tigers against Freo in Perth in that win. He's been accused of four counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of stealing and three counts of criminal damage targeting commercial properties. This all allegedly occurred last December and January. It's interesting the police let him play and didn't question him at the airport. Yeah, they questioned, they questioned him the day after the game and he knew he was going to be questioned at the time of playing the game. Right. He didn't know that he'd be charged at the time of playing the game. Um, he'll face the Perth Magistrates Court early tomorrow afternoon, that'll be today actually, sorry, to apply for bail and he had stayed in Perth to see family and friends so clearly we know his history. There's football ramifications here. He's out of contract at the end of this year but these are serious charges. Mm. Now we're going to talk to Sam Edmund. He's the chief reporter for SEN. I'm going to touch base with him on a number of things, but we're going to start off the top with Marlon Pickett. Sam, welcome to the show. Duff, great to talk to you. Beautifully said too with uh, Neil Danaher. What a great touch it was from the two teams, um, Collingwood and Melbourne, to institute that guard of honour. It was a, a magnificent sight, magnificent tribute yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, before we get to Marlon Pickett, let's, where does the big free sit now in the marquee games that are played in Melbourne through the winter? We've got Anzac Day, we've got Anzac Eve, but the it's built into something remarkable, hasn't it, that, uh, mm-hmm. that Monday King's birthday clash? Uh, more than a game. Uh, but to answer your question, it's coming, and it's coming with a real bullet. I mean, if we're just to talk football for a moment, I think that was the biggest crowd between these two since the semi-final of 1988. So the turnout was massive. And the sea of blue beanies, it's just a magnificent sight, isn't it? And that's just the football. I mean, as we know, everything that goes into it, millions upon millions raised for uh, finding a cure for MND. I think north of 70 million now raised over the course of the, the nine years that the big freeze has been coming. And, and I'm not sure about over there, Duff, but at least in this part of the world, on this weekend and the weeks surrounding it, a lot of community clubs now doing it, a lot of suburban and country clubs having their own big freeze fundraisers. So it's not just about the AFL anymore. And this is a legacy of the man, Neil Danaher. So coming and coming with a real bullet, and so it should, because it's a great thing. And I think represents everything great about society when we can come together for, for under the, the umbrella of a common cause. Yeah, it's very strong over here, Sam. I mean, obviously, Neil spent time, he was the inaugural assistant coach to Jared, Jared Neesham at Fremantle, and um, probably their best times under Jared Neesham were when Neil was there as a, as a guide and mentor to him. And he also spent time at West Coast, of course, after the, uh, the cultural scandal that was the, 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 the drug, um, I guess, adult uh, group that delivered the 2006 premiership but then splintered into, um, into disarray and, and Neil was brought in to help repair the culture of the club. So, so he's left a very strong footprint over here as well as what he did um, in Melbourne. Hey, um, Marlon Pickett, should Marlon Pickett play this weekend for Richmond? Look, I can't see how he can play. If you're going to ask me that straight up, I'm I, I really struggling to see how he can play. I, I think... I mean, there's constant conversations with something like this stuff, as you would know, between the AFL and the club involved, in this case, Richmond. And, and the Tigers have been conscious and uh, said to be doing an, an outstanding job of keeping the league abreast of all the information as it comes to hand. I mean, he was in custody Sunday, though. He's in the dock yesterday. And as we sit here this morning with him facing 12 charges and out on that $50,000 surety for bail, I would have thought highly unlikely to play this weekend. Uh, 12 charges, four counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of stealing, three counts of criminal justice. The prosecution team didn't even want him released 
on bail. They argued that uh, it will be alleged that a camper van was hired in his name. It was then driven into state with stolen goods. There's transactions of $6,000 and $9,000 that have been deposited in a Marlon Pickett's bank account. And as the magistrate Aaron O'Donnell did say yesterday, if guilty, more prison time likely for Marlon Pickett. Of course, he's done time before going back for about a decade or more than a decade ago now. Now, Richmond are keen to get on top of this as much as they possibly can. So their CEO, Dr. Brendan Gale, will speak to the media today. That press conference scheduled for 1.30pm our time. It'll be really interesting to see uh, what the immediate future holds for someone like Marlon Pickett, who, as part of his bail conditions, has to report to a police station over here once uh, once a week. So um, they've said they'll support him. How far will they go with that support in terms of his player availability will be uh, fascinating. But for me, I just cannot see how he could possibly play this weekend and possibly for a period of time thereafter. So to the lay people out there that won't fully understand this, Sam, what will be going on behind the scenes, the discussions between Marlon and Richmond and Richmond and the AFL to determine whether he gets to run out at the weekend? Uh, well, look, to dumb it right down, I mean, these are negotiated outcomes, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're done in consultation where it might not be a, a, a screaming headline of Marlon Pickett suspended by the AFL. It might just be that he takes indefinite leave or an absence uh, from the club for time being to deal with what he's dealing with it at the moment. There's just so much heat in this one. But you have to go back a long time to have to find a player who's uh, been bailed, who would then put his hand up to play football, you know, over a weekend, or at least a player who's been charged. I mean, I think Stephen Milne, I reckon you stand to be corrected here, but you've got to go back to the middle of 2013 when the then St Kilda player was charged with, at the time, was four counts of rape. Now, he remained a listed player, but he took, as I say, an indefinite leave of absence from the club at that time. He did return to play a month later on July 13, and ultimately those charges did not stand. But we don't have in our competition, as we know, and it does come up every time one of these situations or rare situations that uh, arise here, that we don't have the no-fault stand-down policy that the NRL instituted. And that, that is for all serious criminal offences, all serious charges under that NRL policy. Players are automatically prohibited from playing until their charge is determined by a court. So if that was to apply to Marlon Pickett, we'd be waiting until until August. It, it is a it's a polarising view, isn't it? Because there is the overlay of innocence until proven guilty. Of course, I think history would just say that in these conversations taking place right now and behind the scenes between club and league, that uh, that there'll be an, an outcome here that both parties ultimately settle upon. So. What's the mood at Richmond like at the moment? There's not just uh, the Marlon Pickett thing. Of course, Basher Hooley, their, their much-loved um, premiership star, was involved in a serious um, car accident at the weekend and uh, has suffered a, a fractured pelvis. There's a bit going on at Richmond. No, there is, absolutely. And um, that was very serious to hear. He was off on a, on a camping trip. He was airlifted at the hospital. Shocking car crash there, which is a um, serious injuries with a, with a fractured pelvis among among many other things, and um, that man's forever a part of the history of that football club. You've got Marlon Pickett, of course, and all the seriousness accompanied with that. And then at, at the other side of it all, you've got what is emerging to be a great, another great interim coach story with Andrew McWalter, who has immense buy-in from the players. They look, I think, rejuvenated. They might end up playing finals. When he was appointed, Neil Baum spoke very glowingly of his prospects as a senior coach. There are many people prepared to look a fair way into that. We know that Ross Lyon has long held Andrew McWalter uh, as a man as what would be a a legitimate coaching contender and obviously tried to coach uh, poach him uh, to Moorabbin when he took the reins at St Kilda. 
So even before he'd had any runs on the board, he was highly regarded. And now you're seeing what he's doing at Richmond. I don't know. I think he's he's looking really good for the role, albeit with with 10 home and away rounds or whatever it is to come at, uh, at Richmond. So it's a bit of everything at the moment, but never a dull moment at that football club. We've already had a big year, obviously, with the bombshell that Damien Harwick's departure brought. Yeah, no, exactly. They were very impressive against Fremantle here on Saturday night. That was a cracker of a game and a really fierce game. And the Tigers stood up and Shy Bolton stood up when it needed to be win. Out of that, ga- uh, out of that game, Sam, Ryan Mansell goes to the tribunal for the hit on uh, James Aish. Justin Longview has said he felt for Mansell that the ball was in dispute. There were seven points in the game. Every ball had a high price on it, and he was basically beelining the ball. And uh, Ace got there fractionally before, and Mansell's shoulders clipped him in the head. How do you think this is going to play out at the tribunal? Now, this is interesting. I think of all the three cases that are going to go up tonight or go up this week, and I'll fold Dan Butler into this and James Sicily into that for their dangerous tackle suspensions of one week and three week, respectively. I think this is the most fascinating one of the lot for the reasons that you mentioned. So is this a bump? Is it a last-second brace? Or was this, as you touched on and Justin Longmuir touched on, just an unfortunate collision between two players making the ball their focus, at least in, in Mansell's case, until the very last split second. So is this Clark and, and David McKay up in cans or is it something else? I mean, is this an unfortunate collision between two players going for the ball or is the tribunal going to find that Ryan Mansell um, breached his duty of care? Now, I don't have a problem with Michael Christian ticking the boxes because he has to tick them because a the player's been obviously seriously concussed that's severe impact and a tie. So if you're just running it through the matrix, and Michael Christian's only got the avenues that he's got, but I don't have a problem with it going to the tribunal. We let the tribunal decide. We hear from Ryan Mansell as well and his defence team to what was going through the players' mind in this situation. I, I like the idea of the tribunal sitting down and thrashing it out with, with evidence, and maybe this is the process that, would, that we shouldn't make any apologies for following. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think Michael Christian is right to refer it to the tribunal. Let them sit down and pour through this um, frame by frame and examine the evidence from all angles and then they'll come up with an outcome. I think it's in the right place and hopefully there is a good outcome. And I'm kind of on the fence on this one. I, there is contact to the head from the shoulder, but it was such a split-second thing. Um, what do we make of that? Sam, you're a good Carlton boy. What's going on at the Blues? Oh, geez, isn't that just a billion-dollar question at the moment? Uh, not a lot to answer your question. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't think a lot's happening at the moment, Duff. I mean, I think you look at the second quarter where they have the game under their control, two goals, five, the glut of inside 50s, one ground ball, one inside 50s comprehensively on the game, one contest comprehensively on the game, just cannot take the ball from the inside of stoppage to the outside with the system that all the successful teams are playing at the moment. I include Essendon in that. I even include Hawthorne in that, whose handball game has been eye-catching in recent times. Their system with the ball has been a glaring concern since the first minute of round one. And even in their wins, they just didn't look compelling or or, um, convincing with the ball in hand. They can't kick a score. I mean, they're lucky to break a half-century at the moment, and then you, you throw in their woeful inaccuracy on top of it, and you've got a, a recipe for disaster. So something's broken with the ball, no doubt about that. I'm not sure if the last two rounds of last season, the way it ended for the Blues, instead of being a motivator, might have just been a crippler, the way it's turned out, because they look like a team that's playing tight, that's playing fearful of making a mistake. 
the, the haunting uh, nature of the way last season ended, we might be looking into it too deeply, but is that playing a role? Because they just look like a side at the moment that he's scared to make a mistake, Duff. And um, until that changes, oh, there's probably only one side you could say that they would beat at the moment, you know, 10 times out of 10, and that being uh, the side out your way, the West Coast Eagles. I reckon every other club at the moment would beat them on form. And they're a top four team on the table. I'd argue they're closer to a top bottom two team on form. Gee, that's harsh. I'm not sure that they're quite that bad. You know what I reckon? I actually think that Michael needs to step away from getting his best players out there and get his best team out there. And I think his best team means fewer one-paced inside mids. And I know that all those guys, if you lined up the Carlton list and you listed them 1 to 22 in terms of how well they play, there's a few players that would be on that list that I think aren't in Carlton's best team because there are too many one-paced mids. And yeah. that, and, and, and that but, I reckon, contributes to that whole inside-to-outside transition that they're struggling with. But we weren't saying that at the halfway point of last year, and that's not that long ago when their contest work, the brutal nature of the way they went about it, they bullied teams on the inside. That was their strength. Forget their weakness. So clearly the method is broken. I'm not, and yeah, there are players out of form and there are players who are confused clearly and the way they move the ball at the moment does stand out for all the wrong reasons. But I'm not sure it's a simple matter of um, the personnel they've got. Sure, there's selection integrity and if you're out of form, then you've got to pay the price of that. Maybe that hasn't been happening either. But um, I mean, for those questioning the list, they weren't questioning it you know, less than a season ago in the middle point of last year. No, that's a fair point. Pies v D's, great win by D's. Does it change your thinking on anything in terms of the season? I think it breathes new life into the race, absolutely. I thought Melbourne's defence was amazing. Their forward line has been and continues to be an issue. Now, for all of Simon Goodwin's claims that they are the highest-scoring team in the competition, I mean, their accuracy, if we come back to that for a moment, has been an issue the last three to four weeks. Personnel-wise, they still seem to be searching for the right pieces in their forward half. But, gee, defensively, I don't think we've seen a team like Collingwood, you know, cough the ball up like that and um, been unable to run through sides like that for a long, long time. You probably have to go back to round four, Brisbane at the Gabba, where they really stepped forward to intercept. And we saw that from Melbourne yesterday, didn't we? The way they were able to um, implement, you know, three and a half quarters of fierce pressure because from the 15-minute mark of the first quarter, they dominated this game, Melbourne. Um, and it was only their inaccuracy in front of goal that kept Collingwood in it. And we know what that means. When Collingwood are in the game, as they inevitably are, they're going to come and they're going to ask questions at the death, which they did. But, uh, oh, look, you don't lose any friends if you're Collingwood. You certainly wouldn't be panicking there. And if you're Melbourne, well, then I think you take great heart from the fact that your side will be good enough with both teams with players to come back in. But I was intrigued by the Craig McRae putting the photo up of Brody Grundy pregame. I, I found that quite... Uh, fascinating, to be honest, to, to put that photo up and tell his players that, um, you know, Brody Grundy's a friend of ours. He's done some great things for our club, which he has done, mind you. But when you're about to go into battle against the man, I thought that was absolutely fascinating, Duff. Yeah, I think uh, to use a cricket analogy, stick to trying to hit the top of off. I think if you introduce any variables to footballers, footballers are incredible athletes. They're incredible instinctive beasts. They don't need... Uh, unnecessary thoughts entering their mind before going going into battle. That was a bit of a strange one. Sam, much appreciated. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts. Hopefully we can get you on more often in the future and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. No, it was a big weekend of football and will be a big week. Duff. Great to be with you. Sam Edmund, he's SEN's Chief Sports Reporter, joining us on the show.
what do you think? You can have your say on the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or give us a call on the open line. That is 13 12 55. After the break, we'll be back to talk to Paul Hazelby. Of course, one half of the run home with Hayes and Mardo. It's on SENWA 3 p.m. weekdays. Happy birthday from yesterday to the great man Paul Hazelby as well. Back with him after the break.